Hello and welcome back to another episode of Sharp Tech. I'm Andrew Sharp and on the other line, Ben Thompson. Ben, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm excited to get back in the saddle here. We had a nice little week off. It was, you know, maybe not as relaxing for you with your tour of the Midwest for 72 hours. But no, th- um, that, that's fine. That's the easy part. The uh, pounding together a daily update on a red-eye flight, that was the less fun part. But, <laughs> but hopefully it'll pay off today when we, when we cover the same topic. This nearly inspired our first ever emergency podcast, which would have been very exciting. And I would have done it at 11 o'clock Sunday night a week ago, except that I had already taken my nightly dose of melatonin and would have been pretty loopy talking about the Bob (laughs) Iger situation. Uh, So by the time I checked your text, I was already on the way out, but... There has indeed been some bob swapping out at Disney, and it shocked the world a week ago. Still relatively shocking today, although I think as the news has set in, it's less of a dramatic twist when you consider who Bob Iger has been. And speaking of who Bob Iger has been, can you explain the cult of Iger to me before we get into last week's news? Like, People have spent a solid seven days talking about him like he's Michael Jordan. So what are a few of his biggest wins as the Michael Jordan of CEOs? Well, I mean, number one, he's got a very long run at Disney. I mean, I I think he was actually at ABC or or Capital Cities, which owned ABC. uh, And when that was brought in by Disney, they acquired acquired Capital Cities. uh, He sort of worked his way up. So, I mean... He's definitely someone who's been there a long time, knows lots of people. If you've ever seen him speak or anything on those lines, he's clearly like a smooth operator, right? I mean, mm. like, like, I mean, there's a reason why there was rumors about him potentially running for president, right? Like, he comes across as as a politician in a p- sort of positive sense, right? Like, he's he clearly seems very smart. He speaks very well on his feet. You know, he's just like just from the outside looking in. This is a guy that it's sort of easy to to sort of cheer for and say, oh, yeah, that guy's got his, got, got his crap together. So I think there's number one. He's just sort of like – and there's a very stark contrast to Bob Shapek in that regard. Uh, Bob Shapek does not come across as a politician. Uh, he comes across as sort of a, you know, competent – but uh, I think uh, not not a particularly smooth operator, uh, kind of halting when he speaks. And even if when he's say, saying stuff that is smart and makes sense, it can come across as sort of uncertain and, and you know, not super clear that he has sort of has it all together. And that's mm. just a very sort of superficial thing. But you can imagine both of them have very long careers at Disney that that's the sort of uh, a sense that that I would imagine accumulates over time. So that's sort of number one. Number two, uh, I think what Iger is most well-known for is really identifying the shift to IP as the only real fundamental differentiator for content sort of in the long run, and thus, you know, famously buying Pixar, buying Star Wars, Star Wars Film, and probably the biggest one, you know, buying Mar- Marvel, and then buying uh, 20, uh, 21st Century Fox, which is actually maybe the most problematic of them. We might get to that in a little bit, but... Mm-hmm. Really expanding, you know, the the Disney universe and, ex, you know, ex, the Marvel one is obviously the big one. I mean, Marvel's had such an incredible run over the last, you know, 15 years or so. 
and been a real moneymaker. And, you know, in retrospect, the amount that he paid for these properties was, you know, <laughs> incredibly cheap. And and so just for those sort of acquisitions alone really set Disney up very well compared to what they were. So I think those are definitely the found, you know, those acquisitions are the foundation of his leadership. And then when he was there, Disney had just phenomenal results. Now, I think the the bigger question is how much were those results because of fantastic leadership versus they owned ESPN at a time right. when, when the cable bundle was unbelievably profitable and just threw off so much money. And, you know, there's, there's a bit of a, you know, chicken and egg question there that I think, you know, is definitely remains to be answered. Well, I mean, as we said on the last episode, I love a good zag. And so I wanted you to grade my zag after consuming Iger coverage for the last week or so. Bob Iger was never a great CEO. He was a competent CEO in a great situation. Are you buying or selling the zag there? I think I'm selling the zag. I mean, I, I, there's there's a tendency to criticize anyone that is successful by sort of saying, well, you know, it was definitely the environment. Some Anyone else could have done that. There's, I think the response to that is always, well, no one else did do that, right? I mean, right. To, to take like the villain du jour these days, Elon Musk, this comes up like, oh, well, he actually got all these government subsidies for Tesla and for SpaceX. It's like, well... Those subsidies were available to anyone, right? Like someone else mm-hmm. could, have, could have taken them. And, uh, you know, certainly the environment, again, largely because of the cable bundle and, you know, and, and owning ESPN meant that Disney had big advantages because they just had this cash gusher that was, you know, driving, you know, not just profitability, but also cash flow. And they could have the money to make these purchases uh, and, you know, make these investments. That certainly made it an advantageous situation, but he still had to play the hand that was dealt. And, you know, I think by and large played it very well. Okay, that feels fair. I I still like my take if there were something like a first take for business executive news. I would love to throw that out there and stir the pot a little bit. But I, I hear you not only on the moves that Iger made, but the personal charisma I do think is going to be important to where Disney is now. And the stock price has ticked up a little bit after a tumultuous month for them. And inspiring confidence is part of the deal. And it seems like Bob Chapek definitely didn't inspire confidence. Uh, Well, I think just on that, though, it's kind of interesting how relatively little the stock did go up. I, I mean, it's it's up 6%. like 6%. Yeah, 6 7% over the last week, which I think gets to the point that there are fundamental reasons to be concerned about Disney's current state of affairs. And this was sort of my take about Shapek. I don't think he had bad strategy. I think he was playing Bob Iger's strategy for sure, but he was doing what was necessary for that strategy. And maybe there's an extent to which there's a lot of touchy-feely stuff that could have been done better and is maybe necessary and uh, communicating to investors better dealing with creative talent better, dealing with internal Disney employees better. Basically, number one, like it's not like Shapek was a wholesale failure. But number right. two, that's kind of why I started with the charisma leadership aspects because the most optimistic take for Disney is that's actually what is needed. Uh, the more pessimistic take is that they're just they're actually in a bad spot. It doesn't matter who is CEO. 
How was the transition of power handled back in February 2020? I'm trying to figure out just how screwed Bob Chapek was over the last couple of years. Because taking over Disney right as the pandemic hits the United States is a pretty rough deal. And like you said, he's executing Iger's streaming strategy, which... I'm not sure why people expect it to be profitable. I mean, they lost $1.5 billion in streaming last quarter, and that's one of the first things everyone says and mentions in, in coverage of the shift from Chapek to Iger. But, like, is it fair to blame Bob Chapek for those losses? Well, the, the, the transition stuff is very comp- – like, there's been two or three – I think Chapek was the third – sort of next CEO after Iger. And there's an aspect here of where like he just can't seem to say goodbye or can't can't seem to leave. I mean there was uh, yep. I think Thomas Staggs was like a longtime COO. He was supposed to be the next guy. Then he was out. There was rumors about the the um oh the name escapes me the guy who really headed up the Disney Plus streaming stuff. He was supposed to be the next CEO and he got over o- overpassed and he ended up going to TikTok and then bailed after like three months. Uh, and then Shapek came along. It, the timing was definitely interesting because Disney at that point was well aware of the pandemic impact because they had already had to close Shanghai right. Disneyland. And and so, you know, certainly Iger missed a not very fun part, but also a fun part because Disney's streaming numbers exploded. Disney's stock was sky high. And there is uh, – you have to tie this and look at this broadly in the context of Netflix, which we've talked about previously, where all these services were exploding with subscribers and their stock prices were going along with it and were still to an extent in the COVID hangover where it's like, okay, maybe that growth wasn't real. It's like we're sort of reverting back to where we were. And I think that's a definite question for Disney. Now, as far as their big loss, they blamed it on like all their production got screwed up during COVID. And so suddenly a bunch of shows that theoretically would have been more spread out, sort of all dropped in the third quarter and shows are accounted for on the income statement when they start showing. And so mm-hmm. it's like, well, all the costs hit this quarter. This was an abnormally large loss. It's not, not normal, but all that sort of communication came out after the earnings call and in an earnings call where they didn't seem to realize like how bad it looked. And, you know, there's an aspect where this is supposed to be a profitable service by 2024 and you appear to be going backwards. Like, like you, your losses seem to be accelerating. And I think that that really fits in with the optimistic narrative for Disney, which is that Shapeback was just bad at being a CEO. Like there's a mm-hmm. big part of being a CEO, which is managing expectations, managing investors. There was that whole brouhaha last summer with Scarlett Johansson or, or a couple summers ago. And, you know, because they wanted to stream it first day, which meant, you know, as, as a movie star, you get a share of ticket sales. You know, she, like her income was going to be like that would have never happened under Iger. Like he would have, you know solve that smoothed it over before it blew up even if it blew up he would have immediately like shape it came out with a super callous statement like basically like and i mean well, that, that, well hold just, on hold on let me ask you though it wouldn't have happened under Iger. is that because under Iger disney was printing money from all sorts of different places and he could have just paid scarlett johansson you know give her her money and send her on her way because it seems like that was part of what was going on is there was belt tightening and they didn't want to just like cash her out not to defend Disney in that scenario. I mean, I thought it was pretty lame. I don't know. I, I don't know how he would have handled I, I get it your better. Point. Though. It's a well, it's a fair point. But I think there is some aspect where, again, like a big part of being a big company 
CEO is being a politician. And like, that's just, you, you figure out some sort of solution. You don't let it blow up in the press. And I mean, attention for Disney is the whole reason why this IP investment is so valuable is number one, if you have content, customers go directly to you. That's how you go around aggregators, right? If you're either an aggregator, you have all the demand and you can commoditize content. But if you're a content producer, you can go directly to customers. You can get a direct connection with them and you can monetize that way. And so Disney can have their movie in the theater and they can take like 60, 65% of ticket sales, which is like unprecedented. Why? Because the theaters need them more than Disney needs it the mm-hmm. other way around. And so they have this real power. And the whole thing with the Marvel sort of universe in particular is – what Disney is selling is the characters. Now, of course, certain actors become associated with the characters, and those actors do get more expensive over time. But by and large, Disney can just reboot a series and people are still going to go see it, right? Like the the like this is the value of franchises is it gives you bargaining power over the talent, right? It's not like back in the 80s or 90s where you sell a movie based on the actor. The problem there from a studio perspective is the actor knows they're driving the ticket sales. And so they right. they will take sort of their their share of it. And, you know, for people that are, you know, are annoyed about all the franchise movies and lack of star driven vehicles. Well, there's a real sort of fundamental economic reason a- 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 as to why that happens. So, yes, there would have been tension. Disney was fun is increasingly fundamentally in opposition to talent. But that's where all the touchy feely stuff of a CEO mm-hmm. actually becomes really, really valuable. And, you know, so that's one. So Shapek didn't handle that well. He didn't handle the recent earnings well. And then, you know, there was that whole controversy in Florida that don't say gay bill, like just like, again, a very difficult situation where the skills necessary were political skills. Like how do you, how do you sort of like glide through the middle somehow? And not to say that Iger would have handled it better, but we can say that Shapek handled it poorly, right? Yeah. And so, and so you you have this accumulation of self-inflicted screw-ups that are all attributable to the qualities that us on the outside can see, which is Shapek is not a good politician. And that's just and so again, that's the optimistic take on Disney, which is Disney's just needs a much better politician as CEO. Iger is a good politician, and he can surf through these things but tbd because it might just be that disney's Disney's actually in a bad in a tough position well let me ask you before we get to disney's position now and what Iger has to do uh, are we really supposed to believe that susan arnold the chairman of the disney board hadn't spoken to Iger in months before she offered the job in mid-november and it's hard because like they're there could be an entire season of Succession, the HBO show, about the past month at Disney. Like there was, uh, you know, some party at the beginning of the month where Iger was asked whether he wanted to come back to Disney. And he said no. He told Bloomberg no. Um, and now here we are. But I mean, w- what is your take as an analyst on the way all this went down? Because I felt like that was as big a part of the story as, as what actually happened. Well, I like your, I like you. You frame it as my take as an analyst when you just want me to comment on rumor and scuttlebutt and speculation. <laughs> I know. Well, no. And what I mean is, as someone who's watched a lot of these corporate transitions over the years, this feels unique in in some ways, at least. 
I mean, I think it's very viable. They didn't speak. Um, maybe they text messaged. Um, I'm sure there was. I mean, I think it's, it's been well known that Iger has not been very happy with Shapek basically from day one, uh, which is is an Iger problem, to be clear. Like, this, he can't find a replacement. And I probably a big aspect of that is because he has the biggest ego in the room, right? And, and like, he mm-hmm. thinks he knows better than everyone. And, you know, to an extent, you know, in, in the past he has. And so... But that that again that that's an Iger problem. Uh, clearly, the factor in the replacement now was the recent earnings, and it wasn't just that the earnings were bad. And again, there's maybe good structural reasons why they might be bad. It was number one, investors were not prepped at all. Like like for example, this streaming loss. If it's because you have all the, if it's because you have a weird production schedule and stuff dropping at the wrong time, you should have known that three months ago. You could have yeah. let investors know. And then they come out on the street and they don't seem to be taking it seriously on the call. Like the call, they watch into like some, you know, these little stories about the the parks and the new shows they have coming out. And investors are like, you just dropped this bomb on us and you don't even seem to realize that it's a big problem. The, the tone was was weirdly flippant throughout that call. And I just don't know. I mean, maybe he just wasn't reading the room right. Uh, but he... He should have pre-read the room months ago. Yeah, that's I mean, the that's problem. His job, <laughs> right? No, exactly. And then, and then they come out like uh, the next week, like, oh, we're going to form a committee to look into like layoffs or whatever. Like, if you're going to announce layoffs, you announce the layoffs at the call where you have bad results, right? Because you say, look, we we recognize the problem. We're doing X, Y, Z, and you don't announce a committee that we're going to look into layoffs and then put all your employees on pins and needles for the next however long it takes. You should have that in place and execute it. Again, strategically, I think Shapek was was mostly fine, but the actual blocking and tackling, the nuts and bolts of being a CEO, he he just failed, and I think that was mm-hmm. the final failure. And so I think it's definitely viable. I mean, it was clear that Iger had opinions on Disney. He did not take shape. He was doing a good job. I think it's definitely viable that until that earnings call, there, was, there wasn't really a thought about him coming back. But there was a collective realization that, yeah, this is a mess. Uh, <laughs> Bob, come, come, come save oh, us. Oh, man. And they had just given JPEG a, a contract extension this summer. So clearly it was urgent on the board's part. Um, yeah, well, well, I mean, this gets to the strategic part. Like, like Bob Iger bought all these assets. His final acquisition was 21st Century Fox, which was yeah, the most expensive. acquisition. Well, it was the most expensive of all of them. And, and it was the hardest one to sort of justify strategically because it didn't really fit with the, I mean, they did get to acquire, uh, you know, the um, X-Men, which I think was, you know, so they, that's going to be an important part. I think of the Marvel, you know, that, that, that was traditionally part of the Marvel universe that was split off. You know, Marvel was like in bankruptcy practically years and years ago, and they were just selling off pieces. That's why, that's why Sony owns Spider-Man. That's why Fox owned, uh, owned X-Men. And so I think bringing that in, that was definitely, uh, a valuable asset, but you're getting all this content production and it really only made sense if you're going like, we're, it's not just, we're going to do Disney, uh, you know, cause Disney sort of it, it, the content's so unique and differentiated. You can sell it without having a large library, but no, we're actually taking on Netflix and we want to have a huge library of content and all this sort of stuff. And so in the context of that strategy, the reason why it would make sense for Disney is we're not just going to sell subscriptions to our content like Netflix, but we're a larger company. We want this to all feed into a bigger machine. And mm-hmm. we and so 
if we get customers, we get their information, we can really get a deep understanding of their preferences. Uh, we can market to them more effectively. We can upsell them. We can sell them trips to Disneyland. We can, you know, Disney cruises or we, you know, special events that feature their favorite shows or characters, whatever it might be. And that is a reason to enter the space and also to have relatively aggressive pricing because we're going to monetize in other ways. And if you're monetizing in other ways, well, we really need to pay it off on the back end. So that means raising prices on the theme parks. That means like more aggressive uh, yield harvesting, which is, you know, pre- getting different price points for different folks based on what they're willing to pay. And Shapec did all that. And I think a lot of the misplaced criticism about this shift is about those decisions he made. Cause that's what you had to do if you were following Iger's strategy that Iger put in place. So I think those sorts of things are, it's unfair to criticize Shapek and say that's why he needed replacement. Oh, you know, Disneyland's getting more expensive. Well, if the whole point of your strategy is to have a holistic company strategy that you know Disney Plus isn't just a standalone service but feeds into the broader Disney machine, you got to pay that off. Yeah. yeah, and uh, and same thing about some of his reorganizations. And this is where like Iger was very critical of the way Shapek reorganized the company to have like a single P and L where individual creative entities are not responsible for their profits and losses. There's a whole broad thing. I, I wrote an article about this actually right when I started Strictly about the difference between a functional organization and a sort of divisional organization. Divisional organization, you have all these different entities. They all have their own profit and loss statements. The idea is they're directly motivated and compensated and incentivized based on the quality of their business. The downside of that is it's hard to get sort of cooperation across entities. A functional organization, it's like, look, the, the P&L is at the top. It's much more of a dictatorial approach, top down. You do this, you work together on X, Y, Z. But the reason to do that is, look, if we're doing a whole company strategy where Disney Plus is at the center, it's going to pay off in all these places. Well, you need a reason for the creative entities to send their content to Disney Plus. If they're motivated on a profit and loss, why would they want to send their content to a service that's losing tons and tons of money, right? Like, I'd rather just sell it to Netflix. They'll pay me a bunch of money for it, right? And so if you're going to have a whole company strategy, a whole company organizational structure does make some amount of sense. But number one, it's really, really hard to do, to like transition just the way a company operates. Uh, And so number one, it's already hard. Number Mm -hmm. two, we already established Bob Shapek was not good at the people management, political sort of stuff. And so he was sort of in a tough place there, but the strategy itself was not, was not bad. And so this is, I mean, this is where I really like it's, I think it's been very easy for Bob Iger to sit on the side and to take pot shots at everything that Shapek has done. But again, I feel like the actual things he's done are downstream from Iger's decisions. And this leads to a broader question, which is, was the strategy wrong? Was it a mistake to go so hard after streaming? Was it a mistake to try to not just be Disney, but to take on Netflix via Hulu and acquiring 21st Century Fox and all these sorts of pieces? And that's a much bigger question because that's not a touchy-feely, be a better politician question. That's a, our company is in a structurally problematic place question. To frame the Chapek failures, like Netflix on their earnings call knew their earnings were crappy and we were razzing them uh, uh, earlier this year because there was that call where it sounded like they came up with the idea to sell ads like three or four days before. 
but at least they had some sort of strategy because they knew that they had screwed up and they needed to signal to the market that like the company was in good hands and was taking it seriously. And Disney just didn't. And then you look at the, the broader strategy and Netflix is a really good parallel because they're charging nearly twice what Disney plus costs for families. And so I just don't know if you're charging only half of your competition. Like, how is the expectation from shareholders and anybody else associated with the company that that particular slice of the business be profitable? We know it's a really competitive space where all these different players are throwing money at stuff. And, you know, Apple and Amazon are losing gobs of money and don't care. So if you're Disney, like... I I understand it, the goal should be to make it profitable, but it's surprising to me that so many so many outsiders and analysts are cowed by the idea that this business is losing money when it sort of seems like that was the design. Yeah, well, I, and this is why it raises all sorts of questions. Like, number one, what is the long term payoff for like the whole company strategy? Right, where you're, yeah, is it working at all? Yeah, and I I think. So I, I this has raised a lot of questions for me personally. I mean, I think I, we've already talked about Netflix and I, like I underestimated with Netflix, for example, the degree to which they're con- like they just were so slow to improve their content. And then also, which by extension meant their old content ended up not having very much value to acquiring new 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 users, right? And my thought was that, oh, this content spend, yeah, it's a lot, but it also has a marketing component because it's a way to get sort of new customers in the long run. Turns out no one really subscribes to Netflix because of a show that was made five years ago. It's just like, it's all a commodity. And that's mm-hmm. a tough place to be because you have to keep making new stuff. Like, I'm in the content business, right? That Like, I... I, I enjoy my livelihood but it, i still have to produce content right i have to be on that red eye like putting out a daily update because i feel it's an important news event that people would expect me to cover and that's a much tougher business than like we just produce something once and we can make money off it forever and ever and ever so that's number one number two they have this whole structural issue with the cable bundle where well, the streaming services exploded during the pandemic, the cable, the cord cutting really accelerated to a huge degree. And mm-hmm. probably sports was a big part of this. There was just few, there were no sports on for a while and then incredibly depressing sports on for like the next <laughs> year. And uh, and so you had you had that a, a real acceleration there. And this is a tough thing for Disney because on one hand, well, they need to switch over to a sort of streaming future and if the streaming future isn't a very good business then where are they going right like it's not like they can't really go back you can't go back and double down on espn and and, and the other channels i think shapek was going in the right direction oh there's one more point i want to make the big question i have is the whole company strategy entailed the top of the funnel the customer acquisition customer building their, you know, your profile, every customer knowing what they like, what they're interested in, that all rests on sort of uh, zero marginal distributed content, which is you make a show once, you can show it to as many people as you want. Like Disney Plus can scale to, you know, hundreds of millions of people, and that's fine. But if that's supposed to pay off on things like theme parks, those are scarce resources. And Mm -hmm. like you can only allow so many people into a theme park in a year, particularly if you want to sort of preserve the customer experience. And so you have to raise prices for that strategy to pay off. And and, and like 
people are mad at Shapec for raising prices. They're mad at feeling there's nickel and diming. And I think what made it worse is since I, I, I did a, a dithering episode about Disney and we heard from a lot of people, including my co-host, John, that the experience of going to a Disney park has gotten worse. Like, and that's what really can't happen. You can't have a situation where we're going to pay it off gear. We're going to charge more prices. And also it's going to be crappier than before. Right. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I, every now and then I'll make the mistake of going to a commander's game and the degree to which you are nickel and dimed at like every stage of going to that stupid, horrible stadium. It's like the worst stadium in all of American sports and it's crowded and the last time I went, I was just like, I'm, I'm never going back. And so you really can like alienate people if you're not concerned with the customer experience. But to your point earlier, it's like, all right, well, if we're losing money over here and the plan is to monetize the long term investment we're creating with our customers, then that has to happen somewhere. And so it's not shocking that he looked to parks to try to capitalize at least to, as as far as he could take it yeah for for the record i think bob shapek was better than uh dan snyder but uh <laughs> yeah i don't want to compare him to dan snyder nobody should be compared to dan snyder um but uh, you know you mentioned espn and their role in all of this is pretty interesting to me i've read a few different places throw out the possibility of disney spinning espn off and i'm curious what you think of that idea like what's the logic there well, I think the logic was had they done it before this decline really kicked in, they could have gotten a whole bunch of money. They could have paid, like they took on a lot of debt for this 21st Century Fox acquisition in particular. They could be in a much better position as far as their debt load goes and really sort of accelerated their investment into a future without the cable bundle. Um, I think the reason Disney did not is. Number one, there's DSPN is still throwing off a lot of money, like even today, right? Even with all the, the yeah. cord cutting. It's also increasing, by the way, to be clear, because they are raising the rates on current subscribers, the, the carriage fees, faster than the number of people they're losing. And this is this is in this is at least something I think I got right, where I think the cable bundle is transitioning to the sports and news bundle. And so your number one channel is ESPN. Your number two channel is Fox News as far as sort of carriage fees goes. You have to have sports and news because it's still live. It's still reason for people to to sort of subscribe to these bundles. And in the long run, so my, my sense has always been that I'm skeptical of ESPN ever going over the top. Like ESPN Plus exists, but that's like for all these like surplus sports that don't fit in the 24-7 time frame, right? Like the 24-7 mm-hmm. time frame, the fact that it's winner TV is actually a benefit to ESPN because it means stuff is scarce and exclusive and like uh, you have to sit down to watch it and then you're going to see ads and you're going to be be mad with your television provider if you don't have access. Uh, my just assumption, and ESPN only has... Uh, I think it's somewhere on 50% or 60% of of relevant sports, which is a lot, but it's not enough to be standalone. Like if you're a sports fan, you need not just ESPN, but you also need Fox and you also need uh, FS1 and you also need, you know, the, the, the broadcast networks in particular. And so my, my assumption is that remains a valuable entity that does throw off cash. That said, one of the challenges of becoming just sports and news is that the people giving you the content for that sports and news 
are now much more powerful, relatively speaking, mm. and they can extract much more money from you, right? When the bundle was very broad, where it included the History Channel and, you know, Home and Garden and the Disney Channel and, and all these sorts of pieces, no individual component of that was particularly powerful. And so that's why you could make so much money because you were the bundler. Your whole goal was to get a lot of channels so you could take more money from Comcast, take more money from Spectrum because you right. you, you had the, the content that they needed. Now, when it's just sports, the sports leagues in particular are much more, they know they're essential. They know they're much more important. This goes back to like the whole, you know, the whole brouhaha when David Zaslav was like, oh, do we actually need the NBA? And I was like, yeah, you do. <laughs> right. And, and- well, and your read on that was pretty interesting because what Zaslav said was not terribly different than what Disney had said about the rights. And so I, I wonder whether that calculus changes. I mean, Bill Simmons knows this world pretty well and said it's a, it's a good thing for the NBA that Iger is taking over. Others I've talked to say Iger is a game changer in terms of what those negotiations could look like. But from where I'm sitting, it still makes sense to be conservative with what you're willing to pay for the NBA in 2022 or whenever they sign the deal, I think in in the next couple of years, like proceeding with caution makes sense to me. So I'm curious what you think of, of Disney's calculus on that front. Well, let's go back to discovery time. I think that that one is, is kind of more interesting because they like ESPN still has a bunch of stuff, right? They, especially like college football, college basketball, you know, they have the NHL NHL now, which, uh, you know, maybe doesn't provides, you know, filler if they, if they don't have the, the NBA, uh, discovery time Warner, they have a whole bunch of cable channels as well. And, TNT is obviously built around the NBA and you know, they also have the final four and they have some other things. If they don't have that, they're negotiating leverage with all their channels, not just TNT, but it's all sold as a bundle, right? The way, the way, the reason why ESPN makes so much money, it's not just the fee that's charged for ESPN. It's that if you want ESPN, you also have to take like our other 10 <laughs> cable channels, <laughs> all of which are priced too high because it, yep. it, if they were sold on their own, but you do that because it, it, you th- like, it's a bundle within a bundle and it, it that that's been happening over time. And so, you know, if you, for, from a TNT perspective, if they don't have the NBA, their negotiating leverage, not just for TNT, but for all their channels is much lower. And, they again, they need the cable money, which is still a lot of positive cash flow because they have a ton of debt. It's a sort of mm-hmm. it's it's a similar situation for for the for the HBO or Time Warner acquisition, and ESPN has the same thing. They have a lot of debt. They need the cash flow. But to your point about you know Simmons's comments about Iger, I don't know what fundamentally changes these realities of there being a different CEO. I mean, I the. You know, at the end of the day, there is a real point coming. I don't think it's, I think it's, I don't know when it's going to come, but where there's going to be this real tension with sports channels and these bundlers that look, yeah, it's a game of chicken. Like, like, like mm-hmm. who, who's going to blink? I think the the hope for the sports leagues is that companies like Apple and Amazon do aggressively start bidding because that's going to be the key to getting these guys to pay up. But for now, it's worth noting Amazon is really trimming costs. Like you can see, th- like they're, they're looking at their Alexa division, which lost a ton of money. 
they ended our free shipping to Taiwan. Very sad. I got oh, I got like ten. I'm so sorry, I got ten notifications on Black Friday trying to get me to buy stuff. Like that, that's never <laughs> that's that never tweet. never a good sign for a company. And are they really going to spend billions of dollars? Where again, these sports leagues are worth more to the bundler within the bundle because they give them negotiating leverage relative to a Comcast or a Spectrum, whereas Apple and Amazon are trying to get people to sign up directly. Like, that's just not worth Mm -hmm. as much. Like, getting direct subscriptions is not worth as much as keeping people in a bundle. And because, again, it pays off sort of broadly, and and there's more stickiness. So I I don't know. It's definitely one of the things I'm most interested in observing. I think these NBA negotiations are going to be so... Super, super interesting. And interesting in part because of what it signals for the rest of the landscape over yeah. the next 10 to 15 years. Like, Because I'm with you. Everybody can sense this tipping point coming where, all right, it doesn't make sense for us to pay a trillion dollars for games that don't rate very well. And, you know, we're just going to go on our way here. It's probably not going to happen this cycle um but maybe the next tv deal it, it companies are just going to have to make difficult choices and and some of that will be informed by like how deep the cord cutting actually goes yeah i mean my assumption has been that we'd end up at about you know 50% of the 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 high water mark for for bundling that's sort of a you know bet, just a guess um to to be honest and then they'll ESPN, never lose me yeah no exactly i mean there is some like <laughs> And ESPN would be charging like 20 bucks or $25 per subscriber. Like it basically ESPN and Fox are just collecting all the money uh, for, for, from the deal. And I think there's a, you know, if you looking back, had Disney spun off ESPN and their media networks generally basically done the opposite of Fox, there is an aspect where they would be, yes, really walked into the streaming future and the rest of and, and theatrical releases and the rest of their business, but they wouldn't have debt. And it'd be pretty like the clarity of what they need to do. It'd be pretty clear, right? They'd have a very clearly Mm -hmm. defined strategy. I think the challenge right now is they kept them and now they're, they're stuck kind of like, which way do we go? Cause we're the reason to keep them is we were depending on this cash flow. How long is this cash flow going to be good for? I was generally in favor of them keeping it. I think that ESPN plus uh, has a bad name because people get confused but this idea that there's lots of sports that don't fit in the 24/7 window and having more of them you know makes for building a streaming bundle which is which Disney is doing you, you get Disney Plus, Hulu and Disney or and ESPN yeah. Plus all for one price uh I, and as far as the negotiations go just one one extra point on this i think what's clear is what both Disney and Discovery Time Warner want is they want lots of streaming rights in the new deal. That's the main negotiating point. I think they're both willing to pay up, and I think they both need to pay up because they need the cash flow from from you know f- from the, the the cable bundle still. But mm-hmm. but they do want to sort of hedge their bets for the future and have rights to stream more games so they can build up their streaming services for a potential future where the cable bundle does go away. So I think that's actually the real the real point of negotiation. So essentially, they're looking to get streaming rights as a hedge, and they're not necessarily in a position to capitalize on it now and and make a ton of money from streaming now. But they just want to be ready for five to ten years from now. Yeah, I think I think I think that that that's part of it. And you know, building up, you know, 
building up their, which is a kind of a weird strategy in some respects, because I almost feel like doubling down on the bundle still makes sense. Uh, again, I think the yeah. ideal outcome here is about 50% of people subscribe to the bundle. It, they pay about the same, but almost all that money goes to, you know, go, goes, to, goes to the the sports channels. The reason not to do it is you're just not acquiring new customers, right? Like, like how many young people actually have a cable subscription? Uh, and if games aren't readily available, like how do you become a fan, right? If, if, if mm-hmm. it's sort of a, a big hoop to jump through. And that's a point that Zaslav made relative to the NBA. It's like, he's like, look, like you, you are not acquiring young subscribers. It was, it was smart. He did a good job. Yeah. I mean, he was playing directly to Adam Silver's, Fears and or ambitions. I think Silver would want to have some of the games on streaming as well. Um, But when you look at the long term here, I mean, Iger is going to be addressing Disney employees later today. So beyond that address, what are you going to be watching over the next few weeks and months to as signals for where Disney might be headed? Is there anything in addition to the NBA negotiations, which will take a couple years to play out maybe? Well, I mean, I think he already did tell employees that, you know, he plans to restructure the company, including kicking out like, like shape number one deputy who was put in charge of like the, 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 the P and L sort of saw for the that. Company. Yep. Um, you know, there is an aspect where, um, you know, he, he gets to play with house money for a little bit. Like he, he's going to get a certain grace period to sort of figure stuff out. There's a bit where everyone who dislikes Shapek by default will give Iger the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I think this probably a, a pl- applies to, you know, the, the creative aspects and talent and all those sorts of things. So I think that's sort of going to be predictable and it's going to be hailed as, as some wins. The big question, the really big question is, was Iger's strategy wrong? Like, like, was it a mistake to, go so heavily into streaming. And again, there there could there was a middle ground where they just do Disney Plus. They just do their IP. They say, "Look, yeah, we don't have that much content. We're not a Netflix, but you're going to pay anyway because we have such good content that you must have." That's what I was wondering about. They have enough content that's just recycled Disney movies and Marvel movies and Star Wars movies that Throwing a ton of money at shows like Andor, which I've heard is actually quite good, but throwing money at all these new shows to try to build up the streaming. I, I understand the strategy, but it, it could be just as easy to just have that be your library that people can subscribe to. And every parent I know needs Disney Plus. And so they can sort of hold the parents hostage. And a, a lot of people would be in regardless of whether they're throwing hundreds of million do- millions of dollars at these new projects. Right, but it's not just it's not just the the core IP though, right? I think you make an argument that they should do Andor. They should do those those sort of shows. But the big mistake was acquiring 21st Century Fox for 71 billion dollars cuz that's not that has nothing to do with Disney. That's like a Hulu play. That's like we're like we're just going to beef up our content library and we're going to have content for everyone. That's I mm-hmm. think the real Iger move. That's in real that's fundamental the question here. Yeah, yeah, because they could basically be pursuing the same strategy. Like, how many people are subscribing? This is the whole thing we talk about with Discovery Time Warner, right? If you have shows that don't move the needle as far as subscribers go, what are you spending money on, right? Might as well just make a reality TV. Like, give me some more Property Brothers, right? Like, the the, the all this stuff in the middle 
that's the stuff that's in question. It's in question at Netflix. It's the stuff that Zaslav is wiping out at Discovery Time Warner. And that's the stuff that Disney paid $71 billion for and mm. is why they have all this debt that is that is limiting their options, why they have to bleed money out of ESPN to help pay for it. And so, and so I – if oh, wait. I'm going to drive – basically, I think the 21st Century Fox acquisition in retrospect was a mistake. If they hadn't made that acquisition, they wouldn't have this debt issue. They could – back off to a look we're gonna have a disney plus service that's just disney content where disney includes marvel and star wars and those sorts of things that fits with the Iger you to go full circle the whole reason he's considered a great ceo is he acquired this these great properties that make sense as disney properties and they would just be in a much better spot today and have much more flexibility i think without that go. acquisition and that's now not you're ready Shapec. for first take for for business no, executives. That, yeah, that that, that <laughs> the, wasn't the Fox acquisition was a flat out disaster, and Iger has to own it. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's why putting words. That's in why your, you're in the your first mouth. take guy, not me. <laughs> yeah, that's why I well, talk. No. I talk too much. That's why you're entertaining. <laughs> Here's the thing, though, Iger. I, what signals will there be? Because there's a chance that he's coming back to Disney knowing that he made these mistakes and knowing that the the smart decision now is to find a way to back out of it or as you said earlier find some middle ground where you're not quite as pot committed to this strategy as you have been recently so if that's the case what sort of signs will we see i don't know that they can back out i i think there's an aspect where the only way the only way to go is forward Okay. To, and and there may be the contribution Iger can make is look, it's going to be messy. We're going to have to take investors with us, sell our vision, make sure they understand. Look, we're you have to look at us on a lifetime value basis. We're acquiring customers that are customers for life, and we're going to make all this money in the long run. And it's worth this investment up front. He's going to have to go to talent, say, look. We have to change the way we pay you. Like, just it's just a reality. We love the movies too. We love being in the theater, but you know, the things are fundamentally changing. He's gonna have to go to the sports leagues to Simmons Point, right? And say, oh yeah, how can we come up with a solution here that actually benefits both of us in the long run? Like, whether that be mm -hmm. getting you younger viewers or whatever it might be. And again, that's that's really the optimistic take, which is. Okay, maybe the, the the Fox thing was a mistake, but by and large, we have to shift to a post-cable world. We have to shift to a world of streaming. We have to have a whole company strategy. But precisely because it's such a difficult shift, we need a CEO who's good at doing CEO things. And that's why and, – and, 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 and I mean you could frame this as Iger just can't leave. You know, look at this guy. You could also, if you want to be pro-Iger, say, look, kudos to him for realizing – that I'm going to come back and put my whole legacy on the line because this could all blow up on me. But I need to actually see this through because the strategy I picked was actually really difficult and mm -hmm. I need to come back and, and make sure that it, that we, we pull through. Yeah, I think if you're pro Iger, you say, look, this is a company that he spent his entire career building and he feels a responsibility to invested in success and, and see it through this tumultuous period here um, where the future is very much uncertain. Do you buy the idea that Iger's legacy is actually on the line with all of this? 
I think from my perspective, it is, especially once he made that Fox acquisition. Like, and again, I say all this, this is 100% rear view mirror observations, right? I've already okay. done mea culpas about Netflix and, you know, the fact that I overvalued the content and the way that it might have drove subscriptions or avoided churn, uh, particularly if that content wasn't differentiated. And that's a, like, had I had that take a few, you know, when they made the Fox acquisition, which I was always kind of confused about, but I, I wasn't like out there saying there's a bad idea. And so to the extent that I'm criticizing Iger for a mistake, it's a mistake that basically everyone made. Everyone saw Netflix and assumed Netflix was going to be dominant forever. And you had to compete with them. So mm-hmm. the, the, this is not a, um, you know, what a dummy sort of thing. And I I think there's definitely a case where, yeah, his legacy is on the line, which is exactly why he wants to come back. Because if his legacy is on the line, he wants to decide how that turns out and not have it in the hands of Bob Shapek. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I just reading about Iger for the last week or so and paying attention to some of the commentary that this move has generated it's like one of the first things people say is he's putting his legacy on the line, but then they'll spend like 45 minutes talking about him. Like he's CEO Jesus. And I just feel like anybody who's managed their public image that well is bulletproof at this point. Like he could fail to resuscitate Disney, but he succeeded like no other CEO has over the last 20 years or so. Like he's got a a pretty, unimpeachable track record so i'm not sure the stakes are actually as high as people are making them seem that actually makes me more uh admire his coming back because yeah i i do think no one's gonna care if some niche newsletter like Shachekery says actually we should revisit bob Iger's legacy because bob <laughs> shapex screwed because of decisions bob Iger made like you're right in public consciousness it would be viewed as shapex failure it wouldn't be viewed as Iger's, right. even if it was the strategy that was the problem. So there is an extent to which, yeah, he's now owning it, but it's correct for him to own it. And, you know, and he's uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I I like the fact he came back. I like the fact that he's putting it on the line. He ought to. And a lot of folks wouldn't have. Is that motivated by, you know, by, by ego, by whatever it might be? Who knows? Boredom? But he, he's in for it now. <laughs> Yeah, well, we will continue to monitor the comings and goings at Disney. Hopefully he can mend that relationship with Scarlett Johansson and then... um, Well, by all accounts, he couldn't mend the relationship with Robert Sarver and was never going to be allowed to buy the the Phoenix Suns after... Oh, man, that was a great scoop from Bill last week. The the news that he... um, That Sarver blamed Iger for the coverage of the Suns. Pretty interesting, actually, because it makes total sense. There were a lot of rumors as that was happening that Iger was going to be the one to take over the Suns eventually. And clearly some of those rumors got back to Sarver himself. So, um, yes, he's not going to be an NBA owner. He'll have to settle for CEO of Disney. And also don't cry for Bob Chapek because I was looking at him as sort of a tragic figure in all of this. And then I read that he's got a $23 million exit package from Disney and he's going to be just fine. Um, Probably not as fine as Bob Iger, but he'll be okay at the end of everything. Um, Two quick questions before we close out here. The first is from Jack. He says, and this is completely unrelated to Disney. He says, 
Back when Clubhouse was a big deal, I remember Ben mentioning that one day people could do their own play-by-play commentary for sporting events on it. Even though Clubhouse is pretty much gone, I still think third-party commentary is a good idea. I would tune into games I wouldn't normally watch if my favorite NBA podcasters were doing the commentary. So I'd love to hear you guys talk about this. Would the NBA ever release a game feed with only stadium noise? I'd love that if they ever did. Um, That's me, not Jack. Which platform would work best for this sort of thing post-Clubhouse? Would you guys do commentary for a Bucks wizards game? What are your thoughts, Ben? You can answer any one of those questions. Well, I do think this is something the NBA, and this gets back to the streaming bit, right? A, a, a few folks emailed me when I talked about you know, Discovery Time Warner and ESPN wanting streaming rights. That well, what about the the Microsoft deal that 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 the NBA did? Uh, that's you know, there is some tension there. I think the NBA would like to build up their own like week pass. They've been very aggressive on pricing this year to really sort of increase the base. And one of the things I, I interviewed Adam Silver when this was first announced was talking about this idea of having different tracks and being able to do sort of different things. That's definitely one of the one of the ideas that the NBA has. There is a really interesting company called Playback. Um, our our mutual friend Sam Esfandiari works there where you have to log in with your TV everywhere. Uh, so you have to have a cable subscription. So you have a right to watch it. But once you do that, you can log in and then there could be a conversation on top of the game. So it could be a group conversation where you're all watching the game. And it's all synced up. So it's at the, the same time. Or it could be your favorite commentators are are talking like they have control over who can speak, who can't. And so you can mm-hmm. basically have your own, your own commentary there. That that's really interesting. Cause one of the challenges with games, particularly in a streaming world is making sure everyone's at the same moment in time. Right? Like one of the reasons yeah. I like having a real cable uh, subscription, like when I'm in the U S is I hate, <laughs> you know, the you're getting it live. Yeah. I absolutely. hate like you see something on Twitter, like, 10 seconds before it happened, it's very disappointing. So I think that's interesting. I think that, you know, I think playback would actually be something the NBA should look into. That'd be really cool if that was just built into the NBA app and you could sort of have a conversation around that. Yeah. So I think the idea is, is interesting. You know, it's always going to be challenging. How do you get the, the folks in the right? It's almost like a social network problem. Like how do you get mm-hmm. the right people in the right place with the right app? so that it's compelling as opposed to I could just be on Twitter uh, and, and sort of watching whatever it is. I, what I want more than anything is the Twitter replay feature so I can watch, you know, <laughs> watch been Twitter about in that live. ever since you dropped it like a month ago. It's very frustrating that that's not part of Twitter blue, the ability to just recap, uh, like freeze three hours of Twitter, like Oscars, Twitter. Yep. I would pay for that the day after. Um, yeah. My reaction to this is that, on the creator side, it's actually very difficult to do third-party live commentary in a compelling way. And I think that's one of the other well, we Remember when TNT did the players-only broadcasts? Yeah, and, they were and I wanted to like terrible. them. But... They were so bad. Yeah. It turns out that play-by-play guys are really important and their job's really hard. Like, like Exactly. You, you understand why Marv Albert still had a job when he was like drooling and couldn't even remember players names anymore. Like he's like, like it's good. It's hard to replace him. Like it's hard to get someone that's good at that job. It is analogous to the streaming cable conversation because oftentimes everyone's like, yeah, streaming is the future and these leagues should look into putting their games on streaming, but it's pretty powerful to becoming over the air uh, on television (laughs) and like that shouldn't be underestimated in terms of 
building popularity, retaining popularity, retaining relevance. And um, and similarly, yeah, like a guy like Marv Albert, everyone's sitting at home hating on the announcers. That's part of being a sports fan, but it's actually very difficult to execute. And so I, I like the idea in theory, but even if it's just you and me, would we ever do commentary for a Bucks Wizards game? Maybe, maybe we would do commentary, but we would probably be doing commentary poorly during a Bucks Wizards right, exactly. game. So yep. everyone just set your expectations going into that one. Respect, uh, respect to Marv Albert. Uh, may, may, may have a, a pleasant <laughs> retirement. Exactly. All right. Final question. Uh, this is from David. It's actually a comment. He says, regarding the revelation that Ben is in a cigar club, as a Californian, I'm honestly a bit repulsed. However, I thought you'd appreciate some ammo for the argument that smoking is worth it. Here's a thread discussing the study of adult development that's been running since 1938. Too long, don't read. Relationships are very good for your health. Loneliness is similar in impact and in, in life and life expectancy impact to smoking. So maybe they cancel out. I'll include a link to the thread in the show notes of this episode if anyone's curious. What do you think, Ben? I don't need ammo because I don't care what David thinks about my cigar club. <laughs> okay, good for you. No, I mean, I think that like, Number one, I think this is self-evident that having relationships, having places to go are good for your mental health. I think that there's knock-on effects probably to your physical health. Is it good for you? Like, is it good for your lungs? No, <laughs> of course it's not. Also, it's cigars, so it's more bad for your throat and mouth. They have not definitely not inhaling, I'll tell you that much. Uh, but, I mean, I, I, it's interesting that I think there's a tendency – I tend to take the mindset that, like, there are certain things that we as sort of humanity figured out a long time ago that are probably good and, you know, get rid of them, be wary, right? And mm -hmm. I think there's a bit where nutritional science in general is is really interesting. I'm not I'm coming out here saying that smoke is actually not dangerous, doesn't kill you. Of course it does. Of course it's bad <laughs> for you. I'm not denying that at all. But there's an aspect where we get so fixated and focused on these clearly measurable, clearly like A causes B sort of things that we ignore and miss out on things that are also very meaningful, but hard to sort of measure. And mm. there's an aspect where, look, save my cigar club cost me a couple of years of, uh, of life. You, you know, what's great. What's great is right now in my life, having a weekly get together with a bunch of guys where, I mean, cigars really is a great sort of guy activity, right? Because like, yeah. you need something to be doing, right? You can't just well, like listen, sit there, right? And you so claim this is self-evident. I'm going to be citing this thread. I'm going to be forwarding it to my wife because you've <laughs> pulled me into the cigar world. You, you're like Jordan and I'm Tiger Woods being corrupted by you. That's, and I've come to really love cigars that's as such a, a lie. result. That's such a lie. Well, you, listen... I am a cigar guy now, and I plan to try to start a little cigar club of my own here in D.C. <laughs> at some point. Um, but I'm probably going to get hassled. And when I do, 
I will cite this study that David passed along helpfully, you know? Yeah, well, Loneliness is just as bad as smoking. For the record, at the Cigar Club, there are actually about half the people don't smoke at all. So perfect. Uh, good for them. Yeah, good, good, good. You know, they David's David's buddies, I guess. I mean, not nearly <laughs> as you know, they're not having as good of a time, but the broader point though, I think, is worth keeping in mind. I mean, it's good to hang out with folks, it's good to have those sort of connections. And I think it's okay to think that and believe that without having a scientific study to back you up. Like, like there, there is a, yeah. there is a role, and I think this is something we maybe learned over the last few years. At least, at least I hope people have learned there is a role for sort of common sense and like folk truths in a way. Like hanging out's good. I don't need science to tell me that. It makes me happier. <laughs> well, and it's also an essential part of health. Getting out and communing with other humans, it does play a role. And to your point, it's it's harder to measure. Um, that's why we have studies like this running since 1938. But it's important to account for. So even if there are less obvious, you know, measurables, um, it should be considered by everybody. Yeah, right. there, there's, there's this real tendency of like, I mean, I don't know, where's the, where's the double blind study proving that this obvious thing is true? It's like, you know, <laughs> there, there's there's so much we don't know about anything, right? Like, like the, I don't know. Just, we don't we don't need a study. Everybody can right. just go back and listen to the Thanksgiving mailbag and the ten minute discussion of group chats, which generated a lot of feedback and we'll probably dive into that somewhere along the way over the next couple of weeks there were requests for a transcript there were requests for like a video discussion of what was going on in the group chat so um everyone can look forward to that and but, some controversy know. in the group chats about who is who <laughs> exactly uh, you're stirring the pot maybe you're the russell westbrook of the chat um for now we are going to come back later this week. We'll have a lot more mail. Everybody send us questions at email at sharptech.fm, whether they're about the bobs at Disney or anything else tech related. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, I look forward to keeping this rolling. Sounds good. I'll talk to you later. 